0: our sermon text printed on the back page of the bulletin because there are a bunch of different Proverbs and so if you open with me you're welcome to to jump around your Bible as well it's always good to have your Bible open It just helps you see where we're going and what we're doing so what we've been saying over and over again is that Proverbs is a book about how to live well in our Heavenly Father's world. And so this summer what I've done is selected various proverbs that have to do with living well with one another. How to live well in community and in friendship. And uh, this morning we're going to come to the opposite of friendship. <laughs> right? Because if, if, if you know what happens if you've ever lived in, around and with any other human being. Right? Conflict. And according to Proverbs, the enemy of friendship and community is this, this person, it's, it's described as the worthless person, which I like, I think a, a more helpful description, both are helpful actually because conflict is worthless in the long run, but it's, it's a troublemaker, the, the kind of person who causes conflict. And it's disagreement that leads to bickering, fighting, and all of a sudden you find the church is split over the colors of the curtains in the nursery, right? pointless chaos. And so Proverbs is here to help us navigate those tricky waters, the, the, chaos of social, the waters of social chaos. And so let's read these and we will pray and learn how to both ruin and repair our relationships. This is God's word. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech winks with his eyes signals with his feet points with his finger and with perverted heart devises evil continually sowing discord therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly and in a moment he will be broken beyond healing there are six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him haughty eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 10. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. He who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause, or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. And this is God's word. Uh, It is true and trustworthy and given in love. Let's pray. Our Father God, I ask now that you would help us learn how to uh, live wisely with one another. Uh, Show us not only how we contribute to relationships falling apart, but also show us how by grace you make us peacemakers in Christ, able to repair ruined relationships. But most of all, Lord, show us Jesus, our true friend, your beloved son, the perfect peacemaker, so that we might be like him. And it's for his sake we ask. Amen. I'm going to start with something a little bit different. This is hard for me. I'm not going to use a movie illustration that has swords and orcs (laughs) and no epic battles. It's a chick flick. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. But it's a a comedy, it's a a rom-com as they call it. And it's a story about a sports writer who takes a bet that he can make any girl fall in love with him that's in the bar at that moment. And he ends up aiming at and pursuing a girl who has been assigned an article How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And so the story is about a guy pursuing a girl and a girl whose job it is to push the guy away. And it's, it's funny. Painful, but funny. I mean, she, she, this is how she r- tries to ruin and sabotage this relationship. She gets clingy. Uh, she creates a, a picture book of what their family would look like if they got married, complete with photo- pictures of their kids. Right? This is not good dating advice, just to be clear. <laughs> Uh, She shows up at man night, the poker night, with the guys and takes the pizza out of their mouth and puts something green and leafy in its place. Uh, She invites her her guy to what he thinks is a NBA game. And instead it's a Celine Dion concert. (laughs) And the whole film really is driven by people sowing discord, causing conflict, whispering and working to try and ruin the relationship. and people get hurt and so that's what I want to start with just welcome to the world of human relationships Uh, the world here on planet Earth between Monday and Saturday where where we all we we simultaneously long to be loved and honored we just want to be noticed to be friends as we talked about before even as we push people away and it's not just out there it's in here in the church i mean the bible's painfully honest about community conflict uh the christian community the community of faith is not immune and there's a famous place in numbers 12 of this kind of discord of conflict within a family this could take place anywhere right so you have miriam and aaron they're they're moses brother and sister and you remember the story moses led. Israel out of slavery from Egypt. He is God's chosen leader. Uh, He met with God on Mount Sinai. He gave God's people uh, the Ten Commandments. He's their judge. He's their prophet. He's their leader. Moses is at the top in God's authority. Still under God's authority. And Miriam and Aaron have been following for a while now, and they get jealous. And that's what you can read about. They look up to their brother and there's a set, real sense where they say, I want what my brother has. And just like any sibling, right, is what, is what I would say, I'm, I'm definitely better than him. <laughs> I watched him grow up. I know what he was like. And the way they cause conflict is they fight dirty. They don't go talk to Moses directly. They start sowing seeds of, of slander, of insults. And they actually, instead of going after Moses, they start criticizing his wife. They say something like this, is my paraphrase. Some leader Moses is, he didn't even marry somebody like us because he married a woman from Ethiopia. They start with racism. They criticize this mixed ethnic marriage and just start blasting him. And all right, to be clear, Moses married a fellow believer of God. He did something very similar to Jesus. He married, took a bride from the nations. Um, the Bible doesn't condemn mixed marriages, it's, it's something that was right there in the beginning. But then you find, as you read this story, that what Mo, Miriam and Aaron are really mad about is that they basically say, Does God only use Moses? What about us? Has not God spoken through us also shouldn't we be higher is what he's implying and so the conversation goes this is swirling around the camp you can imagine how this is going to go it's going to cause conflict what team are you on team Moses or team Miriam and god calls them all together and confronts the sin and the 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 consequence is Miriam being kicked out of the camp she's struck with leprosy and so this is the fruit of the conversation she's punished this is what happens in chaos, right? Ultimately, it leaves you alone when you start it. We'll come back to that, so keep that picture in your head. But that's the point. The troublemaker of Proverbs 6, the, the worthless person, it lurks even here. It's in my heart. We're not immune. And so that's why we need the wisdom of Proverbs to help us live with one another. So let's start. I want to pull from the wisdom of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Germany, from World War I. He's very pointed, but so is Proverbs, and this is what he says about community, Christian community in particular. He says, innumerable times, countless times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it was based on a dream, but God's grace quickly shatters those dreams. And just as surely as God desires for us to have genuine Christian fellowship, we first, we surely must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're lucky, even with ourselves. (laughs) I told you this was pointed. Sorry. Did you hear what he said? It says, because God loves you, he puts you in relationships with difficult people in order that we might um, see reality. Become disillusioned with how great people are. So that we would see that everybody's a sinner. And if we're really lucky, we get to see that's us. <laughs> that's what Proverbs is ultimately about. To, to face the music that I, too, am not that easy to live with. Right? And so that's why we need Proverbs. We need, to, we need God's wisdom to navigate the chaos of living with somebody else who wants something different than you want something different than me and so let's look at it how do we ruin relationships that's point number one how do we repair them point number two look at Proverbs 6 verses 12 to 19 and this this is both beautiful and painful because it starts with poetry but if you wondered how much God cares about how you treat somebody else how we treat one another listen to the word he uses he says social sins are an abomination that's brutal. They're things that God hates. Now, I think about abomination, it's, we generally only hear it in one context. But this is surprising. Right? God says that what is an abomination is the way we treat one another. It's a shame word. It's, it's, an abomination is something unnatural. It's not how things ought to be. And what an abomination does in God's eyes, it's something he hates, it turns his stomach, right? If you see an abomination, something unnatural, something gross, it's like Miriam, right? She was struck with leprosy. She had a skin disease. People didn't look at her. They sent her outside of the camp, right? And so this is how Proverbs 6 starts. This is what social conflict looks like in God's eyes and I know that's hard for us to hear because we're modern people uh, we don't like to hear that God hates but this is so blunt you can't you can't get around it it's really hard for us to hear that God hates attitudes and behaviors and especially those who ruin relationships but I want to argue and try and convince you that, that God's hatred of our antisocial behavior is actually good news it's hopeful because if you call something cruel, if you call arguments, if you call meanness, if you call harming the innocent, injustice, uh, an abomination, that means well, mean, that means God's on the side of the oppressed. He stands up for the victims. The idea that God hates and things are an abomination to Him are actually hopeful because it means that chaos. The, the, the chaos we regularly experience with one another, it's not how things ought to be. All right. We all know that, but it's helpful to hear it out loud, that God has, has higher hopes than that for us. He had higher intentions when he made us, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, as the scriptures put it. And so you can put it this way, you know, I think I've used this before, but in the 1991 film Grand Canyon, there's a guy who's whose really nice car broke down in a bad neighborhood, and so he calls for a tow truck. And the tow truck driver's name is Simon, and in the time it takes for the tow truck driver to arrive at the broken down car, uh, there's a guy named Rockstar, it's a great name, probably self-given, but he has a gun, and he's, he's about to mug him, to carjack. And so here's the conversation between Simon, the tow truck driver, and, and the, the criminal, Rockstar. And Simon says, I have to ask you for a favor. Let me go. This truck is my responsibility. And now that the car's hooked up to it, it's my responsibility too. And Rockstar says, do you think I'm stupid? Just answer the question. And Simon responds, look, I don't know anything about you. You don't know anything about me. I don't know if you're stupid or some kind of genius. All I know is I need to get out of here, and you have the gun. It's for the second time. Will you please let us out of here? Rockstar says, I'm going to grant you the favor. I'm going to expect you to remember it if we meet again. But are you doing this because of respect or because I have the gun? And here's what Simon says, and this is the point. He says, man, the world is not supposed to work like this. I mean, maybe you don't know that yet, but I'm supposed to be able to do my job without having to ask if I can. This, this dude is supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is right now see that's how God sees conflict that's what abomination is about it's unnatural it's not how things ought to be it's a lack of shalom right so arrogance um, lying oppressing bullying injustice attitudes that tear families apart everything that's unnatural that makes you sigh like Simon this is not how it's supposed to be you're actually echoing God's feelings about that. He says, I hate it. And we know it's unnatural. Because if, you're in, if you've been in physical conflict or, or social conflict your whole life, you can see it physically. It wears you out. Right? You get bags under your eyes. You can feel it in your stomach. You can't sleep. A rottenness grows in your bones. I mean, it just makes us emotionally physically, and spiritually miserable. It's not how things ought to be. And that's why Proverbs is so helpful, because it's blunt. It's God, your heavenly Father, who loves you, is basically saying something to the effect of, you should knock this off. Don't make me come down there. (laughs) Don't make me pull this car over. Stop hitting each other. And so that's what Proverbs 6 shows us then, Poetically, this is, a, this is an image. This is a work of art. In, in verse 12, you have the troublemaker, the worthless person. And the, the Hebrew word there, this should sound familiar to those of you who know your Bible, is it's Belial, which in, in other places in the Bible is used to describe Satan. The evil one. The one who prowls around trying to cause conflict. And you get into verse 14, it says the the troublemaker, the worthless person, has a a twisted heart, a perverted heart. They're always scheming, looking for ways to get ahead, to harass. They don't care about the cost. They're continually causing trouble. They're like annoying farmers. You live next to a farmer and you just take seeds of weeds and just casting them out there. You're causing conflict. And so in our Father's heavenly wisdom, this is God loving you. He's showing you how to recognize a troublemaker in others and in ourselves. And so you look at verse 16 to 19. Here's the poetry part. It says there are six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination, and that is a a poetic device that has purpose. It wants you to look closely and see that the, the seventh item is particularly nasty in God's eyes. The, the, the one who sows discord among brothers, the one who rips apart intimate, close relationships. Think your family, think church family, think your friends. All right. And then what he does, it paints a, a picture of a person. It actually uses the body parts. Because it's not just one part of us that's involved. It's a full-bodied contribution to the chaos. Your eyes, my eyes, my heart, my hands, my tongue, my feet, they all participate in arguments. And there's even more. This is even more beautiful even as we're being humbled. I'm not great at Hebrew. Bruce Walkie showed me this. But when you read the list out loud, six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination. In Hebrew, it actually sounds like, well, a hiss. Right? So kids, what what animal makes a hissing sound? You see, a snake. I heard it. Good job. And so it's intended to get you to think about the, sa- the snake, the serpent, in the garden. It, Even as it describes the troublemaker, it's echoing the mess that was created back at the beginning. The worthless person is imitating the evil one. And we understand that, right? Just read Harry Potter, Voldemort. He speaks to snakes. And every time he speaks to snakes, I can't even say it, it comes out like this. And so you look, go through the list. This picture the hissing. You start with the eyes. They're haughty eyes. Conflict begins with what you see when you look at someone else. And they're literally, it's eyes that look up that are saying, I see you up there. I want to be up there so I can look down on you down here. It's pride. It's, it's uh, Miriam and Aaron once again saying, I want, I want what Moses has. I deserve better. Social sins always begin with our eyes, with a lack of compassion. You um, can use another kid's movie as an example. The Emperor's New Groove, right? It's less painful when it's animated. <laughs> but the Emperor Cusco, he has no idea how to relate to people beneath him. Anybody who, who does not fall in line with his groove gets thrown out of the palace. And when he looks at his peasants, so that's the plot of the movie, He just says, I want a summer house right here, and I don't care who lives there, they can get kicked out. He has haughty eyes, always looking down. And then the villain in the movie, Yzma, who's scary beyond all reason, she's an even better portrait, because that's really what this verb is about, is Yzma wants to be the king. She wants his throne. She's got eyes on being on the top, and this is her attitude, because she wants to be on the top is what she threatens to do to Cusco. She says, I'm going to turn him into a flea, a harmless little flea, and then I'll put that flea in a box, and I'll put that box inside another box, and I'll mail that box to myself, and when it arrives, I'll smash it with a hammer. (laughs) She's going to get violent. I kind of make light of it because this is a heavy sermon, but haughty eyes look at other people like like it's okay to stomp on them, Uh, like they're bugs. Like they're less than human. Because like Satan, I want God's chair. And then everything else follows. The deceiving tongue. you twist the truth to get what we want. Uh, just to make ourselves look better than we are. It's deceptive. A tongue that blames others. Uh, then you get to your hands. They get involved. This is specifically injustice, but you could just talk about hands that harm. You don't have to shed innocent blood to be guilty of causing conflict with your hands. Um, I mean, sometimes, you see it with little kids, right? They have nothing else to do, so they'll just go up and slap their little brother or sister, just cause. We get more, comp- more sophisticated as we get older. But really, violence creeps in because we wanna be up here and we just can't stand losing. And so we fight, well, we, we mail fleas in a box to ourselves so we can smash them. And then you have a heart. This is the poetic center. Because right? you have three on the top, three in the bottom, and in the middle is the heart, because that's the center of the human being. Because the heart is more than just our emotions. It's what controls you. It sets the direction of your life. And the, one, the worthless person, the troublemaker, they're always planning on how to get ahead. And then your feet, right? you put them in action. Quickly, you can't get in trouble unless your feet have taken you there, right? Road rage is bad enough. Someone cuts you off, you're beeping on the horn, saying things I'm not going to say because I'm recorded, right? Your feet get you in more trouble when you put it in park at the red light and get out and start banging on the window. It started in the heart and worked its way out to your feet. And then you get to the sixth thing, a false witness who breathes out lies and it's abandoned the body metaphor and just said everything is unnatural. Breathing is natural. Breathing out lies is unnatural, because we're designed to tell the truth. It's courtroom language, to bear false witness, where you say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, and then you breathe. Commit perjury in God's world. It's a bleak picture, but it's the person who's unable to own it. And then lastly, the grand finale is You do all this, and you've got a perfect recipe to not have friends, uh, to cause chaos, to break down relationships. That's the troublemaker who slithers. And to drive it home, because this is in the New Testament as well as the Old, in James chapter 3, this is what he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. See, he's thinking about Proverbs 6, I think. Right. Or maybe even Genesis 3. But he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, haughty eyes, I might add, there'll be disorder and every vile practice. And so here's the pastoral point. All right, when you read Proverbs 6, it's really hard to just say, yeah, that's somebody else to go like this right but James is writing to Christians to the church and he's trying to let you know that the hissing of the snake these things that, uh, that are unnatural still lurk in our hearts and so to be pastored by God to hear the wisdom of our Heavenly Father to be loved to be shepherded to hear God's word God is trying to uh, disillusion ourselves with others and ourselves. And it's his kindness to look at your heroes and say they're flawed. Uh, To look at your elders, your pastors, other Christians, just to embrace the idea that every human being has an inner troublemaker that can come out at any moment. And that's why Proverbs is so helpful. Because it doesn't hide Proverbs sounds like wisdom has lived with people before. It looks past our Sunday best clothing. And so the pastoral point is just to embrace the idea that no human community will ever be without chaos on this side of heaven. And just by embracing that, that gives you hope. Because now you have a way out. Because you're owning it. To to stop doing this and to look at ourselves. And that also means if things are going well in your family, uh, in your home, because we like each other here at Hope Church, it's a gift Uh, to celebrate it, cultivate it, uh, hold on to it as long as it lasts, try and feed it. Uh, It's a gift of God that, that sinners get along. And when we get along well, when we're friends, it's not of our own doing. It's the Holy Spirit working. So rejoice in it. Now, how do you repair them? I was gonna be a little more, this is gonna be more brief. All right, but what does God do with a troublemaker? Eventually you get caught. You, you can only hide being yourself for so long. Eventually the real you comes out, the real me comes out, I'm picking on me here. And that's what makes Miriam and, and Moses so helpful. Because when she was struck with leprosy, remember back at the beginning? It was like her internal self was being shown on her skin. Her sin was shown on her skin. She couldn't hide it. Everyone knew she had to be kicked out of the camp for a week. There are social consequences. You end up lonely when you do these things. But there's also spiritual consequences because judgment comes in. God hates this stuff. But when you look at Numbers 12, we're given a glimpse of how to repair our relationships through Moses. Because what happens is Aaron is so devastated in seeing the suffering of his sister, he cries out and pleads for forgiveness. He owns owns it. He confesses it. He says, Lord, don't punish us because we've done foolishly and sinned. And what Moses does, this is what we all need in conflict, he's a peacemaker. In this amazing act of forgiveness, he prays for the forgiveness. An amazing act of love. He prays for the forgiveness of those who harmed him. He said, Lord, heal Miriam. Bring her back into the community. Let's work on this. Let's rebuild the relationship. And so this is how you move from ruining relationships to repair relationships. We need somebody on the outside. Because if everyone's a troublemaker, you can't fix it yourself. To repair ruined relationships, you need a peacemaker like Moses. Moses. Somebody who has the humility and the eyes of compassion. Well, as Proverbs 11 says, to not look down on others with contempt. Moses saw his sister and had compassion. Uh, He had a tongue that spoke truth. I mean, they didn't hide what happened. God hates what you're doing right now. Hands that heal, we need. We need a heart that's willing to forgive. Somebody to stop the cycle of payback. That's Proverbs 24. to not say, I'm going to do to him what he did to me, had it coming. To end the, the cycle, the Hatfields versus the McCoys. Right? We also need feet that walk towards uh, the harmed, rather than running away from them. We need someone to, to breathe truth into our lives, not lies. We need somebody to sow peace. And so really, even as you go through that list, you need somebody better than Moses. Moses doesn't have hands that heal He prayed Moses can't make the unnatural natural again We need need Jesus to do that And so to repair your relationships We need Jesus, the better Moses Our Prince of Peace Himself To intervene With a body With eyes that have compassion on you uh, with, With a tongue that's not ashamed To tell you how things are but he also speaks words of healing. He also has hands to undo the abomination. How many times do we hear in the Gospels where Jesus touches the leper and he didn't become unclean, they became clean, forgiving their sins. That's what Jesus does. He loves to make the unnatural natural. That's the Gospel. He had a heart that prayed for his enemies. He was an honest witness And yet, this is what you see in the gospel, right? Jesus, the peacemaker, God's son, wisdom itself. Where did he die? Outside the camp. Treated like an abomination. Hated by God. Mocked by others. Not because he deserved it, but because he's sowing peace with his body. To take away our shame. See, that's what Jesus does. He, he takes us troublemakers and through his death takes the payment so that we might be declared peacemakers, sons of God in Christ. And that's good news. And then if you look at Jesus, this is how you can learn how to, to repair your relationships. It's the opposite of the worthless person. You can read Proverbs 6 on your own and just take 6, 16 and just flip it on its opposite. I'll I'll show you how to do that right here, right now, because grace forgives all your troublemaking. It says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is Jesus' teaching. But if you go down the list, you have to let the cross, before you ever confront somebody and start this process of repairing and reconciliation, you have to let the cross lower your eyes. the one thing the cross does it says everybody's human and everybody's a sinner. Be disillusioned with yourself. Count yourself lucky if you see it. Saying you you cannot raise your eyes to the point where you look down on others. Because the one who had the right to look down on us actually came down below us and served us. He had compassion. And the beauty of this is if you believe the gospel, as you, as you wrestle with the gospel, as you start to repair relationships or seek to, if you have your Father's affection, you know that the only eyes that matter are your Father's in heaven, and, and in Christ you have all of God's attention. So you don't need that person to like you, <laughs> to look at you in any, other, any way different, because you have God's pleasure. And so what, what we need to do to start the process of repairing our relationships is to let the cross control how you see. Eyes of compassion, eyes of humility, and it doesn't make you stare at your toes or your belly button. It doesn't make you too, so introspective that you don't look out. It actually makes you confident. God loves me that much, now I need to imitate it. Uh, second. You can use your tongue to tell the truth about yourself and others. Don't twist the truth. No longer do this and blame others and say, I'm, I'm human, I'm in this mess, I'm, I'm part of it. Right. Speak the truth in love. Uh, you start to use your hands for good, not harm. One of the things the Apostle Paul would do is to say, if you're going to forgive your enemies, just give, them, give a glass of cold water to people who don't like you. Use your hands to do good. Fourth, this is the key, the center of the whole thing. You have to have your heart shaped by forgiveness. You need a new heart. Say, I'm a troublemaker by nature. And what's unnatural is God's grace changing me and making me whole. <laughs> it's a gift. And then you use your feet to walk towards the people you've harmed you. It starts with the heart, then you walk towards them. And in the midst of all this, we learn to breathe out prayers of forgiveness forgiveness rather than bearing false witness, hoping for their destruction. And so really what we're learning is we need the great gospel of grace to declare us God's sons, and no other means, grace and grace alone. And Jesus teaches us by his wisdom to be a peacemaker. That's what all these other proverbs are about. So, conclusion? See, what makes a church... This is where I wanna, wanna focus on us as a community. What well, makes us a community of friends? It's not the dream of us getting along. Uh, it's not the, I wish we could go back to the good old days in the early church where everybody loved each other and the Holy Spirit was really doing stuff. Just read 1 Corinthians. They were getting drunk at communion. <laughs> uh, they, didn't, they didn't play nice together. And so that's why we have the, the letters to help us. Now, in God's wisdom, you're gonna find conflict in the church. It's not something to aim at, but what it does is is send us back to build community around Jesus himself as we are bound together in his forgiveness. Because how can I look down on somebody else, a sinner, a self-professed sinner, when that's me too? So go and learn what it means to be an adopted, troublemaking son of God who is now loved more than you can imagine in Christ. He sends you out as a peacemaker. Let's pray. Now, Father and God, um, it's, sometimes it's hard to see the mirror, to see what we're really like. We either don't like the picture or we forget. And so I pray that um, you would convict us of our sin, but most of all, do that in the context of your infinite love that we have in Christ is higher and wider and deeper and longer than we can imagine and so may your kindness lead us to repentance as we learn to live well with one another in jesus name amen